This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I need to start this podcast off with a disclaimer. No one has ever used Pete Moore, vertical leap, and jumping ability in the same sentence. So with a heavy heart and athletic optimism, I bring to you Dave Hunt, the CEO and founder of Crossrope, and my business partner, Matt Spielman, executive coach and top jump roper in Westchester County. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And all those comments about jumping, you just don't know you have it in you yet. So we're going to unlock that today. Well, that's why I used <laughs> athletic optimism is like, you know, the, the, the end of that. So Dave, you've been a successful entrepreneur taking a uh, passion uh, and putting it into a, a business. I'm sure at some point when you said, Hey, I'm going to go start a jump rope company. Um, you know, that didn't bring out every technologist in the world to say, Hey, I want to put money behind you. So uh, talk about your background, Babson, your journey, and you know where we're at today. Sure. Yeah. So I, uh, from when I was a little kid, I always loved jumping, and I don't know why. It was something that was very innate. I remember uh, going up to my room in second or third grade and doing endless amounts of air squats as one of the shortest kids to learn how to jump higher. Uh, I played basketball uh, in high school. I played volleyball, and I was always the shortest middle blocker. But it was so much fun to to jump and be that kind of surprise out there on the court. Uh, I carried that through, um, after I graduated from high school, I went to the Naval Academy and I was a long jumper and a high jumper there. So I've always had kind of this indescribable innate, uh, I think just passion for, for the, the freeing feeling and the challenge and the enjoyment of, of jumping. And so um, in, in line with that, I think on the entrepreneurship side, uh, you know, the, when, when I was growing up, I didn't have a lot of role models on the entrepreneurship side. I didn't, uh, it wasn't as much of a thing as it is now. And, and yet when I look back and reflect on a lot of my interests, they really much aligned with, I think, the typical personality profile that an entrepreneur would have. And so after I graduated from Navy, I went through pilot training. I was, uh, you know, I did 12 years of service. I uh, had a chance to get an interesting perspective and worldview, all wonderful challenges, leadership opportunities, dealing and managing stress, which is great from an entrepreneurship standpoint. And yet I had kind of that, that calling and that spirit to do something of my own. And so as I had sort of continued on with my fitness journey and my interest, the jump rope was the one form of cardiovascular exercise that was engaging and interesting to me. It was, it was different, especially because anybody that's done track and field in those jumping sports, you know, the distance guys are working really hard and the high jumpers are just hanging out on the, on the high jump mat. So, you know, I, I wasn't something where I love to do hardcore cardio. And, um, you know, so as I got more into jump ropes, it became one of these entrepreneurship seems interesting and appealing I'd really just like a better jump rope for myself to train with. And, um, you know, when I, it was actually an injury, a bad injury that I got that precipitated the opportunity uh, to carve out some time towards, um, I guess, putting your money where your mouth is, right? Actually taking a stab and, and going for it and making a little bit of that leap of faith. And so uh, happy to expand more on anything there, but that's the, the nuts and the bolts of my background and my journey. That's great. So, you know, as, as you looked at, the jump rope and, and making it better. Um, you know, I would say it, it's probably been the most commoditized uh, product since elementary school. Um, so what gave you the conviction or not to say, you know, I can make a better jump rope and I can turn this into a brand or was step one, 
I just got to make a better jump rope for myself. And after I like this one, I'm pretty sure everyone else who wants to jump rope, that is a better experience and it's more fun. I want to focus on the word fun. Yeah, it's a great question. I've, I've been sharing this thing recently that I think there's this interesting glorification of founders and entrepreneurs as the grand visionaries that had it all figured it out and saw everything that nobody else did. And I laugh and say, that was not me, right? You know, <laughs> the, 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 the humble part is just saying, I wish that I could have envisioned where things have gone and how it had manifested. But to what you had mentioned, it really was just, uh, can I make a better mousetrap? I think that I was fortunate with understanding and perceiving some nuances of my personal experience that helped to manifest. And so I'll expand just a little bit on that. I had not discovered weighted jump ropes. And, and I mean the ropes that had the weight in the rope, not in the handles, which for most people don't even have a clue, right? You know, weight in the rope, weight in the handles, what's the difference? It's a huge difference just based on that weight rotating around your body. I hadn't discovered those until I was 27, 28 years old, deployed overseas at a base gym that had some old, you know, rubber tube jump ropes. And the, the workout challenge and experience was so transformative for me that I, th I thought, how, how is this not more prevalent? Like I'm into jumping and jumping rope and I've never heard of these before. I've never seen these before. How, how is this not a thing? And after about two weeks, I, I figured it out. It's because the, the design was really bad. I broke all three ropes hmm. um, and just felt like uh, the quality and the effort and thoughtfulness that had been put in two weighted jump ropes as a fitness tool probably just didn't make sense in sort of the, the previous history of jumping rope. And uh, so, so conversely, I'd had this positive activity with some of the higher quality jump ropes that started to implement ball bearings and cable based ropes. So for me, the concept was if you invest in the quality of handles, that's going to provide this wonderful experience then the, there could be an opportunity to have a modular system where you're, you know, you as a, as a jumper, as a fitness enthusiast can really have trust in the quality of the experience that you're going to have for different weights of ropes, but without the, the expense of having to have a really high quality, expensive pair of handles for each rope. And mm -hmm. so that was this, uh, you know, combining this idea of weighted ropes should be a thing and it's not from what I've seen, the designs are not optimized and the best way to deliver value for myself as a jumper or for anybody else would be if it was an interchangeable system and, and why not, right? Everything else you can adjust the resistance, why not jump rope? And so that was a little bit of the, the aha moment, a cross training jump rope because light rope and heavy rope training is, is varied and interesting and engaging from my personal experiences. Got it. From a standpoint of the sequencing, from developing the rope, uh, then, you know, is there any IP that's protected? You know, there, there's a number of entrepreneurs that go down the road and say, I'm not going to spend money on my IP protection until I got a business. And then sometimes they even kick it forward and, and don't protect themselves. So what, what did you feel you were able to protect? Um, what are you concerned about? Or... You know, I was just with the uh, CEO at TRX yesterday. He's like, look, I got a couple of, you know, suspension bands that I hang from, a, you know, a basketball net. And that's my company. And I protected that suspension technology. So how important is that to you? Or is like, look, you know, how much am I going to be able to protect it? And I got a brand and I got a following and I'm doing the right things and, you know, have at it. 
good luck. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Randy's a great guy. I've had a chance to meet him before. Another Navy guy. I, I assume yep. that that's who you're talking about. Um, yep. and, and really appreciate and respect a lot of what, what TRX has done and, and followed along some of the challenges and the stories that he shared on our end. You know, I thought from the outset, it is diligent to do the best we can to have the proper intellectual property. So we do have granted utility patents. We have a utility patent around a jump rope device comprising interchangeably connected cables. Mm -hmm. um, as we refine our designs, we've continued to do our best on the intellectual property side. And we feel that it is important to defend, you know, with, with the work and the effort that goes into it to defend that as best as possible. However, it is not our primary strategy. You know, so we are not leaning into this as, uh-oh, you know, if somebody else, and, and to that end, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a, there, there was a non-infringing design that was interchangeable that came out overseas. That's, you know, a Chinese based company. And, um, you know, in, in doing that, that's, I think kind of the nature as you establish a category, a space, an idea that's going to happen. And so you continue to think of how you can stay out in front from an innovative standpoint. You continue to look at opportunities for what you can protect uh, from a patent standpoint, from a copyright standpoint, from a trademark standpoint. But, but like you mentioned, I mean, at the end of the day, community, brand, network effects, uh, you know, innovation, internal processes, all of those things are equally, if not much more important in my experience and philosophy and in, in where we end up taking this. So I think we're, we're really looking at, I, I love business strategy. I've read a lot of great books on it and we're taking a look at sort of a, a multifaceted approach to how we can continue to differentiate and, and have, you know, sustainable competitive advantages. Yeah. Matt, Matt's been a huge advocate of jumping rope. So Matt, what's some of the results that you've been getting that you feel you know, can't be replaced. In my work as an executive coach and, and really a, an integrated performance coach that focuses on, you know, kicking butt in the workplace and also uh, that involves fitness and health and all that. And Pete, you are one of my my partners in this, what, wearing your rope around your neck mm -hmm. right now. And, you know, I've purchased, I would say 25 or 30 jump rope sets uh, from Dave's company for my clients who are very senior level executives who don't necessarily have the opportunity to go to the gym every day and or they travel a lot, this is one of those no excuse workouts where you can literally do it anywhere. I know I and my clients have done it in hotel rooms. We've done it on the top of ships. We've done it in gyms where they, we do bring it to go to gyms. And the, the interchangeable handle that Dave was describing uh, earlier, you can take one set of handles and you can bring multiple ropes with you going through security and you know they don't really bat, bat an eyelash. But it's one of those things where a lot of my clients have said to me, Matt, you know, I'm traveling a bunch, I don't get a chance to work out, or you know, the Zoom, during COVID, the Zoom days are crazy. I'm like, can you steal away for 15 or 20 minutes, do a 12 to 15 minute you know, jump rope workout where you're mixing in some bodyweight exercises and universally people say yes. You know, and I would say, Dave, you know, he, here's a, a a question for you, probably the, the biggest area, because people take to it, like you, people want to jump. They love love the jumping, love it. There's a little bit of a, I haven't done that since elementary school, which I see as a little bit of a challenge, a little bit of an obstacle. I'll do a little introductory video. I'll point them to the awesome community online. How have you tackled that particular challenge? 
Yeah, that's a good one because I think when we first started, I had this realization that when people think about jumping rope, it's there's nothing else that I could, could think of that was quite like this where a certain proportion of people think of jumping rope as a uh, school, like playground toy, you know, the double Dutch, it's for kids. It's not for me. It's not a serious thing. And then a certain proportion of people think of it as the ultra elite, hardcore boxers, MMA. So you have, when, when people say jumping rope, you don't know where people are going to land. They're either landing in this realm of like, I'm not a pro athlete. That sounds way too hard. I can't do it. Or I want a real workout. That's a kid's toy. And so we've talked about bridging the gap between those extremes and inspiring and engaging people to consider this as something that can really fit and plug into an existing routine or as something new that they can take on. There's been a couple uh, insights that we've had that have helped to manifest that on the messaging side. So the first one is so many people have had experiences with jumping rope in the past where if you do not have the right equipment, if you do not have the right rope, if you have one of those thin wire ropes or a rope that tangles and coils, it's incredibly frustrating because it's difficult to get the coordination necessary to build that momentum and build that confidence. And so one of the insights that we had is, well, counterintuitive, weighted ropes are much easier for new jumpers and beginners to use because it, it maintains that arc. You have the tactile feedback to have the rope body awareness. And we've created a lot of content and videos and messaging supporting that to the point that 60% of our customers right now are brand new to jumping. You know, we are getting the new jumpers. Certainly it's a, it's a quality tool for elite athletes as well. Um, but I think it was that insight and that understanding that really hadn't been hit on well by anybody else. It was kind of a jump rope is a jump rope is a jump rope. Start with a cheap jump rope. And the problem starting with a cheap jump rope is that if you never learn it, you won't stick with it. And so we really push on this, this idea that it's worth an investment in the health and the quality relative to other fitness equipment, even though it is a premium product for jump ropes, it's way less expensive than other types of fitness equipment and routines and things like that. And um, at the end of the day, we're leaning really hard into uh, our three brand emotions. We've, we've, we've gotten laser, laser uh, clarity on this idea that we're looking to elicit um, joy, confidence, and inspiration. And I think that on that, you know, you think of jump for joy as a colloquialism, and we associate jump with something that's joyful. And, and we think that if something is fun and engaging, people will stick to it. So we lean really heavily into that. The confidence piece of it is both how can we get the messaging to give people the confidence to start, that they will get traction, that this will be something. And then correspondingly, it's so amazing to see those in our community that stick with it, where this elicits confidence and they are exuding confidence because not everybody does jump rope. And when you learn, you feel cool, you feel confident. It's something different than not everybody is doing. And finally, the inspiration piece of it, just as a, as a, a, a vehicle for helping people to inspire others to try it because they now have that story, whether it was for staying fit or losing weight or learning a new skill that's interesting and compelling for them. And so I think Hopefully that's a well-rounded answer, but those are the, the approaches and the strategies that we've taken. It, it's a terrific answer. Uh, and you know, built into the confidence and the inspiration is also just the sheer efficiency and efficacy of the workout itself. So you know, Peloton has gotten a lot of attention and for good reason, it works the lower half part of your body. Running, 
a lot of people run, it works the lower half part of your body. When you jump rope with a quarter pound, half pound, one pound, one and a half pound, with two pound, or potentially even three pound, it actually works, you know, your, your heart, your legs, your wrists, your forearms, your back, your core, your shoulders, it works almost every single part of your core, uh, almost doubly, because it has to hold everything together. It works everything. So that if efficiency and, and efficacy speak to that inspiration and confidence, people really see results. Yeah, you're right about that. I mean, again, at the beginning, we, we've had stories where I didn't set out saying, claiming that this was going to be a life-changing product for people. Maybe maybe I should have, maybe I wasn't aspirational enough, but the number of customers and people in their own words and in our community that say that it's been life-changing. And I've shared before, we had one that really hit home hard because it was, uh, he was one of the early community members. He uh, lived in the Dominican Republic and he had to drive his, his daughter to school every day. And he said that she was embarrassed. Her friends made fun of her because he was so overweight. He lost 150 pounds in a year and a half. Obviously, good nutrition. We encourage, you know, nutrition, sleep, all of that has to be a part of it. So disciplined with good nutrition, but using exclusively Crossrope. And, and the outcome for him, it wasn't just about the physical appearance and the health. It was about the fact that his, his daughter wanted her, uh, wanted him to bring her to school every day, right? You know, and so I think hearing stories like that is, is, is inspiring and motivating for us to think about the way that this can just be a small, efficient part of people's lives, like you astutely mentioned. I mean, that is a big thing, the portability, the efficacy, uh, just do something, right? You know, jump for five, 10, 15 minutes. It's better than nothing. And it gets you building those positive habit patterns. And uh, it's one thing that was nice for us. The final thing that I'll chime in on this topic is we didn't, it's not newfangled, right? We didn't have to make any ridiculous claims about what, you know, what this did or what this didn't do. Jumping around has been for a long time. And most people know, and there've been plenty of studies done about the caloric burn rate and all these other things. So I think people know and already believe that jumping rope is good. Just by adding the weights, by adding the protocols, it, it engages and by giving people the confidence that they can do it, whereas before it would have been inaccessible. Now people say, hey, I can, I can access this form of fitness that I didn't think that I could. And so we've really leaned into the accessibility components around um, you know, why people should at least consider it as something that can be really so effective. Yeah. So, so a question for you related to you know, being a successful entrepreneur, being at, at this point in time, um, I don't know what the background is on, on your investor base or if this is your own company, but you know, did, we were just on a, on a podcast with a guy who's an equity analyst at Credit Suisse. It's all about revenue growth. It's all about getting to you know, the three to five year global revenue target. Obviously, from the story you just told and getting to know you now, you know, the, the, the last dollar of growth is obviously not what you're doing, right? This is a passion project. You're affecting people's lives. So how do you think about it from an entrepreneur's standpoint to say, you know what, I'm, I'm big enough. I'm going to grow at the pace I want. You know, if I want to take an outside cap, I'll take an outside cap. I'll take it in on my own terms, but I'm not looking to try and build this company to try and sell it to X companies. It can rebrand and I go get a job working for some division of Under Armour. Um, because I think there's such a euphoria around venture capital and private equity and this and that and making acquisitions. You're like, you know what? I'm helping millions of people. I'm doing what I love. So give us the, you know, contrarian view on, on entrepreneurship that maybe is, uh, you know, different than what some of these other people in the news talk about all the time. 
Yeah, sure. No, it's a great question. I appreciate you picking that up. And, you know, from just my tone of voice and the way that I'm talking about it, kind of getting a sense, like at some point when you got food on the table and when you get some of the benefits and trappings that success and entrepreneurship, it, it, it puts you in a place where now you can kind of like, you can reflect on the fact that I was saying it wasn't about the money and now I know it's not, you know, like, like there's mm. almost like that self validating. Like I knew I was doing this for the right reasons, but early on, you know, you just want it to work out. You want that success. Um, I think just because, you know, we, uh, you know, when it's something that you care so much about and they're so interested in that you're energized by, um, you know, it, it's just nice to feel that you get traction and, and can make that impact. So, so to your point, this has been bootstrapped from the beginning. Um, my belief is that it, you know, I have made the efforts to connect with investment bankers, connect with PE, connect with uh, VCs, because I think that, that, you know, well, that may or may not be on our horizon anytime in the near future. I think the knowledge of what ends up, um, you know, being most valued within a business and, and having a business structure that's going to command the, the most value is by default, the best way to try to run your business in some capacity. So I think like an understanding of the types of strategic decisions we can make to grow the business and to have that impact is really important. And I take that very, very seriously. I'm ultimately committed to the actualization of what I believe the brand and the impact can be. So what I mean by that, as long as I feel like myself and my team are making all the right moves to responsibly grow this and make the biggest impact we can, that's great. If and when there's an opportunity to take on a partner that I feel can be synergistic and help us to really grow and, and scale to make the biggest impact, I'm fine with that as well. I've even told people like, I, I enjoy being a CEO. I feel uh, like I'm doing some things right. We just got great news this, way, this week. We're on the uh, um, Inc's best places to work editors list. Uh, we got great places to work. And so like, there's a ton of joy associated with the building of the team and having that be a good personal and professionally advancing experience for others. But I think, you know, from the contrarian piece of it, it, you know, and starting from a bootstrap standpoint, there wasn't this early pressure to follow this template, to hit these set numbers at all costs, to grow at all costs. And I think it's put us in a position where we feel like we're in control of our own destiny and can be very mindful around the strategic decisions, either to take on investment partners or not to take on investment partners, just based on what we feel is in the best interest of, you know, the, the organization as a whole and the impact, uh, the team, and then of course our, our customers and all those who we're trying to reach. So from a standpoint of building the company, when it was more than just you, we get a lot of entrepreneurs that come in and show us, you know, once I get capital, I'm going to make these 10 executive hires. Uh, the reality is there's probably one or two key hires that they, of, of roles that they need to fill uh, before they get a chief operating officer. You might want to see if you get a VP of sales to see if you actually got products <laughs> for someone to help operate the logistics on. So how did you think about that from a sequencing um, and, and identifying people, whether those were people that you knew from the past that you recruited because, you know, you had a relationship and a trust there or were you just looking for the best person to fill this role because that was your biggest pain point? Definitely the latter, the best person for the role. And I think we have established sort of, you know, we, one of our internal core values is strive for continuous improvement. And every quarter we show this, uh, 
this diagram that shows a high growth organization and bringing in um, basically a high aptitude individual versus an experienced individual. So we share this every quarter with the team and, and commission every individual to, to, to take ownership. We, we certainly provide learning and development. We provide mentorship opportunities and educational resources, but to take ownership uh, full well knowing that if, if they are not understanding of what the next course of growth is going to bring in terms of challenges for their role, they may not be the right individual. And we've had so many on our team that have really stepped up to those challenges. And we have outside mentors and consultants that evaluate them to, to let me know and make sure that they really are the best person for the right seat. And then there's been some others along the way that have been, you know, through networks, through connections where, um, you know, when it was the right time, we were able to bring them in to, to lead to that next phase of growth. So it's been a little hybrid, especially at this stage, but we still do have some key employees that weren't CMOs six years mm -hmm. ago when we called them CMOs, but they've, they've grown so much. And, and, you know, so Serge, our CMO right now is, uh, is incredibly talented. And, um, you know, we, we feel confident that we'll continue to grow and, and learn from our mentors and from our coaches and from uh, some of the outside resources because we're dedicated and committed to that growth mindset. So, so most of the audience listening here is affiliated with bricks and mortar locations. Uh, so what kind of wholesale distribution uh, do you have or going to be doing inside of uh, to the clubs or to the studio market? Uh, and we'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah, so right now, uh, we, we've tested a little bit in the realm of uh, bricks and mortar. So we had uh, a previous arrangement with GymSource. They, okay. They've got about 50 locations, uh, boutique. Uh, there was some level of success, but I don't think that we were prepared from like a point of purchase and with our sort of in-person marketing materials. So we're not currently with GymSource. All, all amicable. It just didn't work out the, you know, exactly how we would have hoped. And then from a club standpoint, the only club that we've really had a lot of success with is Equinox. So Equinox uses our ropes exclusively in a class that they call, you know, have called the cut jump rope that uses our products. And so that's been a fantastic opportunity to get some exposure in, in the club space. But beyond that, it's actually been a challenge with club and brick and mortar to uh, convey the value proposition in the same way that we do for individual consumers. Cause I think there's a lot of this perspective of, Hey, this is an accessory jump ropes are in the realm of things that are going to get stolen and we don't want to invest in a lot of something that's going to get stolen. And so we're still, um, you know, making some, some headway in that regard. And, um, so I, I don't know, that might not be a lot of use, uh, to, to your listeners, but we'll, we're definitely committed to the omni channel in the future. And as we've grown, we feel like there's going to be more and more opportunities for pop-up displays so people can try the product before using it. Uh, that really just makes sense for also bringing some foot traffic into some of the brick and mortars around brands that people know and are interested in. Okay. Well, if you ever make a glow stick related uh, cross rope, I will buy the entire inventory out. Uh, that's one of my, <laughs> it's one of my childish things to do. And uh, I'm big, I'm a big glow stick purchaser. Um, so I love, I love this, uh, the, the, the orange here. Uh, so keep those coming. Um, you know, last question here in, in closing, you know, as you look at the, the markets that you go into and the amount of people that, that you could help, you know, how do, how do you think about, you know, a five-year plan? Do you run your business on a, on an annual, on a quarterly basis? I think, um, you know, a lot of companies come to us and they say, this is what 2025 is going to look like. I'm like, well, let's just do 2022. 
and the rest of it is basically just an Excel model. Um, so how do you kind of think about the future? And also you kind of answered some of that through the investment banking and, you know, outreaches, but you know, how, how far do you go out in your own mind? Yeah, sure. You know, we, we, we adhere to a framework uh, called EOS from the book Traction. I don't know if y'all have heard yes. of it before. So yes, we know. So EOS. we're, uh, so we're um, you know, we're, we're big proponents of, of EOS for sure. We implemented that in 2016. And at that point in time, we set our, our 10 year vision, our 2026 vision. And, um, you know, as per that, we back it out to the three year goal, which we rebaseline every year and the one year goal. And what's interesting is within three years of implementing it, we, we had to recalibrate our 10 year goal because we were already on a trajectory to exceed what it was. So just a testament to the power of the vision and the focus. So, you know, for us in five years, I think like in, in broad strokes, still very much kind of a, you know, Jim Collins hedgehog concept, focusing on the jump rope fitness experience. We're not, you know, planning to go into all sorts of other accessories. Um, but anything that, that supports the jump rope fitness experience is all fair game. We're investing internally a lot in the content delivery uh, through the app. Um, not, not so much, you know, tons of respect for the Pelotons, the hydros, the tonals, the climbers, you know, all the great stuff there, but we're almost looking at it like we, we can't mount a 22 inch flat screen on our jump ropes. So, <laughs> you know, like we're not trying to just be the blank of blank. We're just trying to say, Hey, what is our version of the content delivery and being very intentional and mindful on the user experience and the user interfaces that just make it so easy for people to get started, to get those workouts done. And so we feel like the, um, you know, premium app programming uh, on the subscription side is a good opportunity for us to really deliver a ton of value, but have opportunity to grow, to grow the business and, um, you know, continuous improvement and, and just, uh, you know, I think more of a omni-channel approach to reach new markets of people. The, the biggest challenge right now is people that just don't even consider jumping rope, right? Mm -hmm. We feel like we have a great value proposition for those who are thinking about it and are aware of it. Um, the next five years is going to be a lot of creative efforts around, you know, top of funnel awareness is something that people might be willing to try. And we de-risk it as much as possible. You know, 60 day, no questions asked, money back guarantee. There's no fine print around. It's hard to send these back in new condition. Like we know people are going to use them and beat them up, but hardly anybody sends them back. Our return rates like 3%. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, so that's uh, the next five years in a nutshell. That's great. So in one of your quotes from a prior podcast that I listened to before we got on here, you said, uh, it's better to be lucky. I think you've earned your luck, my friend. So welcome to the Halo sector. Look forward to jumping rope with you guys. Maybe come to Ursa. We could do that in Dallas. We can go jump rope in the uh, convention hall and sell some jump ropes to uh, these health clubs that should be looking at uh, looking at this category and not overlooking it, thinking that everything's got to be connected to uh, my Bluetooth. So, Matt, thanks for Love joining it. us. Dave, good to meet you. And it's look an forward honor. to meeting you in person. And Ganelin, always a pleasure. Uh, have a good rest of the week and I'm sure it's easy to jump rope not wearing a mask so thank God for that <laughs> yeah. alright guys hey good to meet you have a good thanks weekend so buddy All right, guys. take care thanks Matt appreciate right, it see ya I want to thank my friends at Burn B-R-R-R-N for sponsoring this podcast they are the innovative company behind the world-renowned burn board. Many of you don't know, I was one of the top roller hockey 
players in all of Nassau County back in 1988 to 1990. If I had a burn board, watch out, I would probably be an NHL legend. Got a seven-day free trial on their on-demand library of hundreds of workouts. $30 off the purchase. Check it out at shop.theburn.com. We'll have it in the show notes. Use the checkout code HALO and go burn it on the burn board. Ice hockey in your living room at home fitness. Low cost, low tech, low impact. Go HALO. Burn it up.